1975, a research investigator and expert on Sumerian cuneiforms, the clay tablets that are found in the millions, published a book called The Twelfth Planet. And it's an interpretation of an alien race known as the Anunnaki. Sitchin followed The Twelfth Planet with Wars of the Gods and Men, Genesis Revisited, and the Earth Chronicles, which became huge bestsellers around the world. What happened to his research? Why did the orthodoxy reject his theory based on his research and decipherment of these cuneiform tablets? This archive edition of Earth Ancients features Dr. Chris Hardy, a psychologist who has done extensive research and published a number of very enlightening books, not only on these aliens, but the hybrids that Sitchin believes are our ancestors. On today's program, we'll hear how Homo sapiens sapiens were engineered, the great nuclear wars that destroyed huge parts of the world, and the inner fighting of the Anunnaki, their hybrid children, and the lords known as the gods. All this and more today on Earth Ancients, Special Edition, The Archives. Saturday, January 21st, 2023. This is Earth Ancients, Special Edition, The Archives. I'm your host, Cliff Dunning. Happy January to you. Hope you're doing well. We're in the thick of it now. The month's flying by. <laughs> I'm still on somewhat holiday mode, meaning that I, although here, obviously, we're producing a podcast for your enjoyment, I'm kind of still relaxed and, I mean, it's winter. It's, it's really cold at night. It's cold during the day. I can't get out. The hiking trails are just muddy. And we've been deluged with unprecedented uh, levels of rain. And uh, it's filling up our reservoirs, which is great. And as you, if you know anything about California, we've had three plus years of drought. Really, really poor rain numbers. And it's all coming back to us. All the the dry spell is definitely over for the last uh, three or four months since November. And it's great. It's wonderful. But if you're an outdoor person that gets his exercise outdoors, it's really not great. Luckily, I have a treadmill where I can do some walking and things like that. And so I've been 
uh, quiet. I've been sleeping longer <laughs> and uh, enjoying this winter time, this uh, this part of the year. It's funny because I really got to finish this book on uh, the Maya. And if I mentioned it earlier, uh, I've been quite fortunate to connect with uh, archaeologists in Mexico, most notably Dr. Sergio Gomez, who was the primary research investigator of this tunnel under the Quetzalcoatl, or the Pyramid of the Serpent, at Teotihuacan. And it was such a fascinating look. I mean, we were uh, invited to join him to go underneath the tunnel, which led to the center, directly underneath the Pyramid of the Serpent. And I had been reading about his research. And by the way, I I opened the book with this visit with Sergio and his explanation of what they discovered. And what makes it fascinating is that I had been reading quite a bit about what his interests were and what he, the opportunities that he lost to really discern the technology behind this pyramid. Now, we're discovering more and more that these ancient people uh, had a technology, had a science, had a pyramid science. And in many cases, these pyramids were some form of generator, energy generator. And when I say that, it is a a combination of using telluric, naturally occurring telluric energy, which bubbles up to the surface, capturing it, enhancing it in some ways, and delivering it either in the atmosphere or through other buildings that are surrounding the the main uh, generator, or in this case, a pyramid. The sad thing about Sergio is that he didn't consider any of the subtleties of the ancients. All his interest was was to find grave goods and, most importantly, the tomb of a king or queen. And this is what he was explaining to us and how and why he was ex- uh, so excited to find these grave goods, which were in the thousands, uh, little objects. The Tiwanakuns, the people who placed those burial goods in the pyramid were not the builders of the pyramid. They were not the ones who originally placed the pyramid over these these energetic fields. They actually did modifications, and we know there's modifications that they uh, developed. It was the people prior to them, probably several thousands of years earlier, who built the pyramids and placed them in, the, in those locations. The first opening that I'm talking about gets into the technology, gets into the the architecture and the systematic design that I passed through and, and discovered that there is significant underground canals that deliver water to this area underneath the pyramid. And I've had a couple people, including our own Ed, uh, Dr. Edwin Bernard, look at this uh, machine and actually question what the hell is going on here you know what what is uh uh this technology all about and so this is the opening of this book and i gotta get on it i really gotta get on it because i want i got so many other things to do and the point being is that i'm very relaxed i'm still on vacation and it doesn't help when i have my friends coming over i had an old girlfriend visit me uh, this week 
and it's it's whining and dining them. I have another college buddy and his daughter coming over this week and whining and dining them. So I'm still in in holiday mode and uh that's just the way it is. When it's when it's so cold outdoors, you can't do your exercise. <laughs> it kind of uh, it, it, it's for me. It's kind of a shutdown of on creativity. Yes and no. Yes and no. So, I think as it warms up a little bit, things will get kickstarted. I really am am uh, fascinated by these ancient Mesoamerican cultures and have been for decades. And it's it's kind of a a plus to have a podcast where I can actually speak with these experts uh, from Mexico, from Central and South America. And even having guests on like Raphael Eisman, who has been reporting on these phenomenon and these ancient unknown civilizations for for a long time, for probably at least a decade, kind of reinforces my interest and also the great lacking of the orthodoxy. Now, one of the things I've mentioned many, many times is the fact that, and this is a shock to me, is the fact that the archaeological community who first discovered the Maya, flat out did not confer with any of the elders, any of the scientists, which are called daykeepers, and the daykeepers are are equal to a modern astronomer, mathematician. They did not confer with them, and they continue to this day not to confer with them. This is a complete lack of, uh, of insight and foresight, and what we get in their interpretation of these ancient societies is is a very, it's almost a, a medieval look. It's just sad. It's a completely sad look at a fascinating and, and genius-level society that can really provide us with significant insight about ancient Earth. And this is something that Graham kind of glazes over, in this series, uh, Ancient uh, Apocalypse, when he goes to Mexico and he speaks with uh, Marco, Marco Vigato and others, it's like, who were these early people? Well, why don't you talk to the people who are still here? Well, these guys, these these uh, uh, scientists, they they don't think they need to talk to these people. They, they they're going to take it on themselves, and when they do that, we lose. of the data. So what we're getting is about 10% of the data. And this is is completely crazy. It's completely nuts. So what I bring up is a lot of uh, data from my my connection with uh, the Native people, what's been handed down to them, and just a a whole bunch of... uh, revelatory material that has been kept quiet and not necessarily hidden, but just not brought out by the academic community. So anyhow, that is what needs to be kickstarted. That's why I got to jump on that. So today's program is Zechariah Sitchin related. And this is a scholar who presents us with an alien race of beings, the the Nephilim, who ultimately created the uh, Anunnaki. And the Wars of the Anunnaki is a book, 
an interview I did with Dr. Chris Hardy back about uh, eight, nine years ago. And Hardy's a Sitchin scholar. And Zachariah Sitchin, I knew I knew Zach personally. I knew his wife, Frida, and they used to travel with our conference, which was called Whole Life Expo in the late 1990s, 1997 through 2000. He passed away in 2010 at the age of 90. But if you don't know who Zechariah Sitchin uh, was, he was a uh, Hebrew scholar who also was able to interpret cuneiform tablets. These are these stone tablets that are found in the thousands. And he was able to extract the story of the Nephilim and the eventual Anunnaki. And what he discovered was mind-blowing. He basically was the foundation of the ancient alien movement. I know we always talk about Eric Van Donegan and his work, but Zechariah Sitchin wrote a series of books on the Anunnaki. Their creation of the man, the Adam, as they call them, and I had a lot of problems with his material years ago. Coming around a little more now, because uh, the Anunnaki, we're talking 400,000 years ago that they created Adam, this uh, hybrid. And when I say hybrid, it's uh, they use some genetic material from ETs, from the Anunnaki, to create this Adam. And... This was a slave race that they used to dig for gold, uh, harvest crops, and so forth and so on. Sitchin's contention is that the hybrid, which is us, Homo sapiens sapien, at the time he was talking about this and his books came out in the late 90s, I was kind of like going, okay, come on. Give me a break. Uh, how how do you back this up? Well, he he does does a good pretty good job of backing it up with with the scholarly references. But there was so much blowback by the archaeological community, by geneticists. In fact, when he died at the age of ninety, he was uh, there were other scholars who said, "Well, no, he misinterpreted this. He totally misinterpreted it. He got it wrong." He, he misunderstood what they were trying to say. And, and today, you know, there, are, there still are scholars like Dr. Chris Hardy, who, who we're talking with today, who support Sitchin, who, who believe he, he had the story correct. And I've had other people on the program who were Sitchin scholars that support his work. I'm... I don't know. I, I I still am a little bit curious as to, you know, if it's possible that we're genetic offspring of an alien race. It, it, it gets into the whole thing. Perhaps it's the reason, one of the reasons that I'm so frustrated with the whole UFO alien craft, you know, UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. If aliens are... are flying on the earth, around the earth, if aliens are coming to us, you know, if A.V. Lope is correct and we're having uh, alien probes enter the atmosphere or orbit our planet to scan us, why aren't we having more physical contact? Why aren't we seeing more landings and these guys coming out? What's going on with this, with these, with this right now? 
And it, it kind of leads me, I mean, I'm totally open to this. Uh, I, yeah, I support Sitchin's work in some cases, especially when he talks about uh, Belbek and Lebanon, this megalithic temple, so forth and so on. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence still with Sitchin until we have more, I guess you could say, ET contact. And that's just me. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying I'm wrong. I, whenever we talk about aliens, it's like, you know, they're, they're watching us right now. And if it is true that the Anunnaki created us, what are they doing? Are they f- watching to see how far we get? Are we at a moment where we're going to uh, detonate and blow up the world? You know, are they waiting for something to happen? It's just not enough for me to believe that Sitchin was right, that we are hybrids. With that being said, my program today is a, a recording that was done on the wars of the Anunnaki. And these are the wars for planet Earth. And they're ancient wars, hundreds of thousands of years ago. And Chris Hardy is a, a, is a French scholar, and she uh, is fascinated. I've had her on uh, recently to talk about uh, alien species. And, you know, she doesn't screw around. She's really digging into the data. And if you're on the fence like me uh, with Sitchin's work and the human race being a uh, hybrid species, read her book. Read her book on human DNA and the Anunnaki. She's written a few books that are supportive of Sitchin's work, and she takes a different spin on it, too. So fascinating to consider, and in many ways helpful for those of us who are uh, interested in the work of Sitchin, interested in ancient cultures and Earth's deep, deep past, I have a, an interview that was uh, done, oh, Jesus, this is probably 12 years ago, where Jordan Maxwell interviewed Zechariah Sitchin just after a conference, just after a lecture he gave. And here he is, Zach himself, explaining the interpretation of the Anunnaki, also Yahweh, which is the Jewish name for God, and a few others. This is going to be a little bit longer. It's going to be like five minutes, but take a listen to his explanation and and Jordan questioning the Bible. I attended a lecture once uh, with Lee and Vivian Gladden, who I think I had mentioned before uh, to you in passing, that uh, wrote a book uh, about the same subject. I think it was called uh, Heirs of the Gods, where they talked about the celestials or the extraterrestrials or whatever, and and they made the point that there were only two scriptures in the Bible, both old and new, where the where the word God implied a divine, overshadowing, creative force in all creation, as opposed to all the other places, except those two, that talked about Elohim which was different from the word... These are gods with a small g. Right. This must be understood. These are gods with a small g, who in turn were the emissaries of God with the capital G. And in the New Testament, on which <laughs> I'm not as, as, as an expert as I'm on the Old Testament, but even there, uh, there is the statement uh, that... Uh, 
I'm Alpha mm-hmm. and I'm Omega. Beta. I'm the, the first beginning. and I'm the last, I'm the beginning and I'm the end, which is exactly what the Hebrew prayer states. That's a fascinating, uh, there were so many questions in relation to that, but uh, I'm very interested in the sons of God also. That is, um, were the Elohim the sons of the sons of God, or were the Elohim they were the sons of God? And it is their sons born on earth who married the daughters of Adam. So then we could say then, they, then what you're saying is the Elohim were the ones that in the Hebrew is referred to as the sons of God. Uh, no, the Elohim are the, what the Sumerians called Anunnaki, okay. those who from heaven to earth came. Mm-hmm. They are Elohim in the Bible. In, indeed, when you encounter this term, uh, and, and mostly in connection with the so-called pagan gods mm-hmm. that are also called Elohim in the Bible. Uh, indeed, at some point, uh, um, uh, Joshua uh, gives the Israelites, before they cross the Jordan into the Promised Land, yeah, they say, that. you now have a choice, like make up your mind. Mm-hmm. Do you want to follow the Elohim of Egypt? Uh, do you want to follow the Elohim of Mesopotamia? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to follow Yahweh as the monotheistic concept of one God that rules, controls, designs, etc., everything? You know, uh, the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, I think it's 423 in Daniel, says uh, that he was given a vision by God where he saw the earth and it was in a total, uh, the words were, uh, a desolation, a destruction and a desolation of the world in a vision taking him back to an ancient time. Um, can't remember exactly how the words were in, in Daniel, but that reminded me of Genesis 1-2 where it says that uh, God created the heavens of the earth or Elohim created the heavens of the earth and the... And the uh, <laughs> Earth I raise my hand yes. to, 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 to tell you that. Uh, that's a, a, I mean, indirectly, you raise a very, very fundamental question for biblical scholars, and that's for theologians. Uh, in Hebrew, uh, the sentence, the verse says, Bereshit, which is translated in the beginning, mm. Elohim, God, created the heaven and the earth. And many, many uh, theologians for generations, even goes back to Talmudic times, you know, even the time of the temple, the second temple, asked how could it be that the story of creation, of beginning, starts with the second letter of the alphabet, the bet, the beta, the B, and not with the first letter of the alphabet, Mm. the aleph, the alpha. It just beats logic, beats your beliefs. And what I show in my uh, book, the the latest one, Divine Encounters, is that if you add the aleph, which may have dropped somewhere along the rewritings, etc., of the Bible, it becomes that not Bereshit, Av Reshit, mm. the father of beginning. 
created Elohim, the heaven, and the earth. Oh, okay. So the supreme creator created the, the Anunnaki, Elohim, the heaven, and the earth. And that is a whole different and subject. That I really hope uh, that uh, through, through this interview and then... And, and all, 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 all the uh, exposure that it will thus give, that uh, those who uh, uh, have the say in these matters would really consider this suggestion by me, that uh, if you add the Aleph, mm -hmm. you give a whole new dimension to this first sentence of the first book of the Bible. I'm going to be interviewing Eric Van Donigan in a, about a week, and he has a new book on evolution that is fascinating. So, you know, there's not a lot of the old school left. I mean, Eric's like the he's like 85 now, and there's not a lot of the old school left on the the ancient alien side. It's it's being reinterpreted by a younger uh, group. Sitchin is like the foundation for a lot of the movement. And of course, there's the Ancient Alien program. Uh, I'm still mostly interested in ancient Earth civilizations. And we know the various epics now. Remember Bill Reps, who's the uh, mathematician that discovered and is uh, showing and proving that there were five major epics on Earth that go over... I think he said 400,000 years. And so this is very interesting to me because if you follow the Hindu Vedas and you look at some of the uh, uh, passages in some of the ancient Hindu documents, which really is our only written history of Earth, we know that civilization rises to a high level. And some of these early civilizations, some of these early epics could be highly advanced technologically, perhaps as advanced as we are today or, or, or uh, more so. And then there's a devastation, either in an implosion, the civilizations destroy themselves, or as Graham likes to uh, remind us, a foreign object comes and wipes out and uh, there's a terminating event. So that's more of my interest. That's more of my interest probably... And, and this has been going on for decades for me, for even from a young age, questioning history, questioning the church. <laughs> uh, so it's for me, it's more an internal uh, desire to to want to know how Earth humans came about, and if there was some documentation that was found in a codis, in a, a Mayan codis, or the Hall of Records are revealed that we are a hybrid species from an alien race, I'd accept it. I mean, that would be it. That would be it. Right now, it's too shaky. It's too shaky. So so my program today is War of the Anunnaki with Dr. Chris Hardy. This was recorded uh, about eight years ago. And it's kind of a it's kind of a Sitchin refresher course, but she's got some really really dynamic things to say. So away we go.
a midweek program I am uh, releasing with author Chris Hardy. She's an Anunnaki expert. And Chris was featured at the 2017 Contact in the Desert conference, which was held in Joshua Tree, California, the weekend of Saturday, May 20th. I had uh, spoken to Chris ahead of time, and we didn't get a chance to uh, conduct this interview on site because she was just hammered with uh, interview requests, and uh, she was very, very busy with the number of lectures, workshops, panel discussions that she was asked to be a part of. So this interview was recorded a few days later, and uh, actually it's good that it was done that way because it it includes really an in-depth review of her material from her latest book. And her latest book is War of the Anunnaki, Nuclear Self-Destruction in Ancient Sumer. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Chris Hardy's work, she is considered probably one of the top experts on the Anunnaki uh, today, uh, following Zechariah Sitchin and his work. So this presentation, extended version of the typical kinds of a show that I've had, which is I'm more interactive with the author. This is her almost giving lecture-like presentation on her book and extending a typical answer into a detailed explanation. So it's quite unique. I think you're going to find it unique across the board. As an example, she's going to be presenting information on the destructive nature of Anunnaki weaponry that she discovered, including nuclear bombs, quite a bit on genetic manipulation. Also, some of the most detailed information I've heard on alien interaction with uh, with humans, and this is all based on her work. So stay tuned. (laughs) It's going to be quite interesting. So I recently discovered that a friend and author uh, who we've had on this program, Chris Hardy, was at Contact in the Desert. And all you know that I did attend. We have interviews. Uh, we er- I interviewed Eric Von Donegan, Andrew Collins, and some other people at the show. And uh, we drove in on Friday, and I discovered that Chris has basically was speaking there. Most of her program was Friday, and, and unfortunately, I missed her. But I caught up with her with a couple of emails, and I wanted to talk to her about her new book, War of the Anunnaki, Nuclear Self-Destruction in Ancient Sumer. Uh, We haven't had her on for over a year. We had her on when she had her last book, DNA of the Gods. And I thought it was time to start talking again about the Anunnaki for a number of reasons. Uh, The the nuclear threat that we have with uh, North Korea, the idea of nukes uh, at all have come up in our news, and I thought it was appropriate to have Chris back. Chris, how are you? I'm okay. I'm perfectly. Uh, I'm in such high spirits uh, since I came back from uh, contact in the desert. Yeah, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yeah, and how were how was the reception to your talks? I mean, you had uh, they actually had you do a lecture and a workshop, and I think you even did a. You mentioned you were on a panel with George Nori. That must have been fun. Yes, uh, it was. Uh, I had very good feedback from people 
uh, I must say that uh, at uh, George's panel, uh, I introduced the problem of uh, uh, harass children and abuse children. Mm. Uh, that, uh, and I mentioned that uh, their age was uh, unfortunately so young. And uh, I had a number of people, mostly women, but who would recognize me in the crowd, you know, it's uh, so extended, so large. Mm-hmm. And nevertheless, I had like something like a dozen people coming to me and saying, thank you so much, thank you so much for what you you talk about. It yeah. was uh, very, very, very important for us to, to hear that. And that, that was uh, very great for me, I mean, uh, because... After I, I had uh, talked about that, I, I had, I had, uh, I pulled back on myself, and I, I was next to uh, George, and I, I said, oh, I'm, after I ended my speech, my little ten-minute speech, I, I said, oh, I'm sorry, I, maybe I have been too strong, too heavy, <laughs> yeah. and he said, no, 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 don't worry. And um, it was like, you know, I was wondering if it was a, a good uh, time uh, to speak about that. But as it turned out, uh, this is, uh, I must say, that this is a very, very uh, deep-rooted problem that is everywhere in the world, in all uh, religions, I would say, uh, to different degrees maybe, but... uh, we have them in uh, practically all Judeo-Christian religions. And it was very, very important to mention that. Uh, even if uh, it had no nothing to do directly with, uh, with the ancient aliens, it still had a very, very important bearing on uh, our collective uh, psyche and all this in uh, my latest book, uh, Wars of the Anunnaki, uh, I have been tracking uh, the source of this type of social problem in our uh, epoch uh, all the way back to some text in the book of Genesis, which I call the book because it's the, the book of uh, uh, the root book of, uh, as we know, uh, three religions, Judeo-Christian and Muslim. And um, it's uh, definitely stemming, the problem is definitely stemming from the not what happened in the Garden of Eden, but what uh, was we were told when we were kids about what happened in the Garden of Eden? Before and you go we, any further, let me just ask yes. you what what were you what was the ten minute introduction when you were on the panel? I'm sorry, what specifically were you were you highlighting and, and saying? I I was talking about the harassment of kids by uh, mostly by priests. Oh, uh, okay. And uh, the sexual harassment, uh, on, you mean and so the, the pedophilia of the priest. Pedophilia, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. That, uh, as I am saying, is a very extent, is a, an enormous problem uh, that we are dealing with now, that we are bringing to the uh, to the daylight on on dealing with. 
uh, and it's, it, we have to know that it is in more than, uh, more than the Catholic uh, religion. It's not, it's also in the Protestant religions. It's also in, uh, certainly in other types of religions, but it's coming to the surface slowly, uh, by, you know, country by country. Well, I mean, if you, it's funny you bring that up because I think the whole doctrine of the priesthood asking these young men to be celibate is a huge issue. And I, I think that it, it just adds to the, the strange requirements of being a priest, uh, no matter what your religion. And, and I mean, uh, I think the Catholic Church, and I don't know this for sure, but they have are considering allowing priests to get married. I mean, this was a no-no for years, but yes, I, there's but a lot let, of problems. Let's say that uh, it is certainly more acute in the Catholic uh, religion, but as I was uh, pointing, uh, it is not the sole religion. Even the Protestant religion, which allow its uh, um, priest to be married, uh, has... Uh, a lot of problems uh, in terms of pedophilia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have, uh, you know, the book, the, the, my book, Wars of the Anunnaki, uh, I have been uh, specifically focused on uh, New King of Sodom and Gomorrah, on uh, the Tower of Babel incident, on uh, the deluge right. compared to the first book DNA of the gods where I was mostly talking about the garden of Eden and the, the scene on fault uh, interpretation of what happened there and which is not what we find in the in the tablets in the Sumerian tablets are uh, two millennia and a half older than the first text of the of the Bible, and yet uh, we find practically all the events that are recounted in uh, the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. However, we find them in a totally different uh, light, which is not a one God, but a family of uh, gods uh, warring uh, with each other, the princes and uh, the brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And we, we find that the responsibility in the tablets is never, ever put on the young humanity because we were not even able uh, to stand up uh, to these uh, mighty lords uh, yeah. that, were, that became our gods. Yeah. Um, the, the book is, is fascinating, and I, I love the... Uh the opening. I just want to mention that John Brandenburg has been our guest a number of times, and uh, you Very make nice. you make some fascinating remarks in the beginning in your introduction, where you actually show John's work that uh, reveals that two very large nuclear weapons were detonated over the atmosphere of Mars. He believes of over a million years ago. Uh, many, yeah, many millions of years ago, and the uh, isotope Xeon-129 is very prevalent in the atmosphere. And I thought it was f- fascinating how you picked that up and, of course, uh, show the evidence of uh, a nuclear detonation in India and, and, and how these skeletal remains, these skeletons of these people, 
still are radioactive. I mean, that is, it's a wonderful opening and really uh, is the basis of your of your book using nuclear weapons. I mean, that, that must have been kind of a, a fun way to kind of relate to your book. Well, um, as you know, uh, John Brandenburg is a, a friend of mine and also a co-author in uh, some work I'm, I have been doing on uh, cosmology. And uh, I, I admire his uh, work. And he, I must say that uh, when he found out that, to, to be precise, around 200 million years ago, uh, the, the Mars had an atmosphere and uh, was lush, green and lush with vegetal life and on the civilizations of intelligent beings. And why we are sure of that, and when he found out he was uh, totally, um, you know, destroyed, I mean, he was, uh, he, he was depressed. He, he found out that uh, two nuclear uh, devices of uh, immense proportion compared to what we have uh, been using ourselves uh, had been detonated, detonated and, and they were so powerful that they blew out the atmosphere of Mars. So anyway, you had John, so I'm not going to uh, get uh, too much into his own uh, research, but uh, it is uh, absolutely uh, scientifically proven, uh, first of all, that uh, Mars had an ocean uh, this time ago, and uh, in, uh, in the in the tablets, in the Sumerian tablets, uh, we, we have the story that they came from a nomad planet. Uh, we know now nomad planets are 100 times more numer numerous than uh, suns uh, in the universe. And when a nomad planet that can have an atmosphere, can have moons, when such a planet is approaching too near a solar system, it may be attracted, uh, pulled into the solar system gravity field. And that's what happens, that's what they say in the tablets happened to them. On their planet, Nibiru started crossing uh, from the outer edge, of course, of our solar system, started crossing all the orbits of uh, our planets. But a very, uh, not only they describe all the planets and their moons, the number of moons and the color and texture and everything, which happened to be absolutely correct. But when they say that when they, uh, they used to go to Mars, to replenish their water reserves. Uh, because uh, Enki, for example, one of the two uh, prince men, uh, the children of King Anu on this uh, uh, nomad planet, Nibiru, Enki was using hydrogen fuel for their uh, space uh, exploration uh, to the new planets uh, in this new solar system. So, and we, uh, Sitchin had uh, found, uh, had the device that Nibiru's orbit must have been like 3,600 years, but we just discovered a few months ago a, no, a planet that is orbiting uh, our solar system with such an incredibly huge and thin orbit that 
its orbit is 10,000 years, and this is it is so far away and so tiny, of course, that this is why we have not been able to uh, detect it uh, mm. up to now. And it's still very, very far. It will be a time before it comes to us. So my my uh, my impression is that uh, this is the Nibiru. Mm. Uh, however, and it is it is it it is uh, also made more certain by the fact that this uh, ten thousand years orbit planet is crossing the orbits of all uh, our planets uh, in uh, nearly perpendicularly. It's a, it's a very, very uh, strong uh, um, angle uh, to the orbit of all our planets. Mm-hmm. And this shows that this planet was not part of the original solar system when it formed itself. Uh, for a billion uh, point five uh, years ago, all the planets. I mean, our sun is like four point eight billion years ago uh, long. Uh, however, the planets are a little younger, but not too much. But this is definitely showing such a, an abnormal orbit, you know, plane of orbit that mm-hmm. uh, it has to be. And, uh, some some kind of uh, outer body that came suddenly into our s- solar system. Well, it's funny because uh, both Zechariah Sitchin in his books on the Anunnaki and what you write reveal that the the lifespan of these of these aliens ex- is extremely long, uh, th- uh, you know, thousands of years. And when when we relate it to the uh, the books, the tablets that we have from Sumeria, they they appear to be long-lived, and then perhaps they are long-lived. And uh, at the time of Sumer, perhaps, and obviously the planet Nibiru was very close to Earth, and that that was a, a way for them to get back and forth. Um, yes, yes. That's, but let's that's talk what about, they say. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk a little bit about this, the early phases of Genesis. Now, you believe that the Genesis text is found in the Sumerian tablets and that they're very, very closely aligned. Is that, is that because the, uh, the individuals that are featured in both texts are very similar, or did you find some other uh, relational evidence? Uh, we we have uh, not only the, the creation of humanity in the tablets, but uh, we have the Tower of Babel incident, we have the deluge with Noah, we have uh, 10 patriarchs in the tablets, there are 10, ten kings between uh, Adamu and Tiamat, uh, who were, uh, according to the tablet, uh, created by genetic engineering uh, all the way back something like uh, 300,000 years ago. And uh, the tablets we have, uh, I mean, they are so precise that and so uh, consistent in a coherent in terms of uh, our own uh, scientific discoveries that we cannot not give them precedence over uh, the text of the 
uh, of the book, uh, which are much more fuzzy, full of contradiction, as I was able to to make out using my semantic field theory. You know, Cliff, that I have been uh, working uh, all my life, uh, my adult life, since my doctoral thesis. Uh, on a theory in, uh, of consciousness in cognitive science. It's mm-hmm. called semantic field theory. And I have used, I have been able to use this theory to uh, not only compare uh, the, on very specific events, the text in the tablets and the text in the book of Genesis, but uh, all the way to groups of words sentence by sentence, and I've been able to, first of all, make out two very distinct styles on semantic field, meaning that it is not only a psychological profile of the narrator, a culture to which uh, such uh, values and and behaviors uh, pertain, and also a time frame, a time frame of this narrator, uh, because uh, the specific values and behaviors specific to a time frame in the history of uh, humanity. So I give you uh, an example. We are not going to go back to the Garden of Eden because that was uh, the first book, DNA of the Gods, and I would uh, much more prefer. Uh, today to discuss my latest book, Wars of the Anunnaki. Yeah. And so let's go, let's take, for example, the Tower of Babel incident. Uh, Babel, Babili in, in the Sumerian uh, text. Of, of course, you have to, I have to remind people that we, when we say Sumerian tablets, it's a generic terms. And in fact, which uh, are tablets on clay that are, uh, have been unearthed and uh, the oldest one are like 3500 BC, uh, while the Genesis text, the, most, uh, the first text in the Bible, must have been, by all most expert opinion, uh, written around 600 BC uh, during the captivity of the Jews in Babylon. And this is why they would have had in Babylon, which was the city of Marduk, the son of Enki, and an, an, an eminent uh, scientist like Enki, unlike his Enki's consort and sister, half sister Ninma, right. and who was the one to make the genetic engineering, Ninma, the woman. Uh, and uh, Marduk was the firstborn of, of Enki, a great, great scientist and engineer. And he had constructed the Babel, Babili Tower, uh, as his temple, and also uh, to have, uh, to, it was his own city, because at that time, each god or goddess had a temple on their own or his own city with. And uh, uh, devotees, you know, uh, a society of devotees in the city that they had to be the devotees of the god of their own city. And it so happened that uh, Marduk was extremely disliked by Enlil clans, uh, the, the, uh, Enlil being the 
ruler of earth. Right. And, and so, for example, the Babel Tower, we have, uh, we know well the text of uh, Genesis, like uh, there were some uh, people who were nomads who uh, happened to want, to want to build a tower and to make bricks. And they were so uh, stupid and full of pride that they wanted to make a tower of, that could reach all the way to the sky, to heaven. And so they were uh, competitors to uh, the deity of uh, the Bible. And in the Sumerian tablets, now we have a totally different text where we have, we are in between, but we have also, uh, if you, if you uh, start uh, pondering very, very precisely on the biblical text, but without being hindered on, on block, uh, by on blinker by uh, the traditional interpretation and you look at it like I did with my semantic field theory with a totally new way of looking at the text to sort out uh, for each group of words the values and the, the psychological profile of the narrator and his as I said earlier, yeah. his time frame. Yeah. And so uh, when, when you look at it, you realize that the interpretation is like uh, 95% of, uh, of the interpretation, the classical interpretation that has been handed down and put in our brains when we were very small is 95% of what we read, what we understand when, when we read such uh, and we hear such texts. However, 5% of those texts are stemming out directly from the Sumerian tablets uh, 200-500 years earlier at the minimum, and they show a totally different interpretation that we find in the tablets. So what was the, the, the Tower of Babel in the tablets? Uh, we have a continuous war between El Enlil, the ruler of Earth, and Enki, the head scientist who is the older brother, uh, but who did not get the crown of Earth. Right. And Ninma is siding uh, with Enki and consort of Enki. Okay, their, one of their uh, children, uh, one of Enki's children, is no less than Hermes Ningishdida, Hermes Trismegistus, uh, who also participated in the genetic engineering in the Garden of Eden. Okay. Uh, and so, so to get back to the Babel Tower, Babeli means the gateway to heaven. But if we understand the tablets, well, heaven is the name of Nibiru. They called their pl their original planet paradise. Uh, no wonder uh, it had been their paradise before they reached Earth, and they had to make a new civilization on Earth. And the planet is called crossing in the tablet, which has a bearing on the fact that it is crossing at a very large angle all the orbits of the other planets. And uh, uh, to stay on uh, the Babel uh, Tower, uh, we have during this war, again, at one point, 
Enlil clans uh, willing to to ask Marduk to get to go into exile and to stop and to destroy. They want to destroy his temper in Babylon because his temper is so extremely sophisticated with such an incredible scientific technological uh, uh, might that it is indeed bringing shadow on uh, Enlil's own temple in Nippur. And so they send Nergal, who is a younger son of Enki, and is allied politically with Enlil clans. And, and then he goes to say to his brother, you have to get out the, con- the council of all gods want you out and you have to go to exile. Yeah. Uh, and then they destroy the tower. And we have, we have uh, in the era epos, uh, we have also this uh, part on uh, Nergal asking his brother to get out uh, of uh, the Babel Tower. And we know from the tablets that he had uh, he had a platform with, uh, which he used as a launching pad for his own uh, spacecraft, on uh, plural, because they had, uh, in the tablet, they had birds, which are the normal planes. Then they had whirling birds, which are like helicopters. Mm-hmm. And then they have uh, specific uh, spacecraft, interplanetary, inter uh, for uh, spaceships and yeah. this is called a shame so we have uh, for example a photo that I can send you uh, well uh, you actually have a photo in the book yes from with a shame from one of the temples in Egypt of these machines that are quite yes, unique yes yes yeah. and, and you can see I'll but I have that. the photo I'm talking about is a shame a, a spacecraft for interplanetary travel right. and this uh, this is half hidden it is inside the earth for uh, three quarters of its uh, height and only the tip of the spacecraft is coming out this is uh, absolutely wonderful but yeah. you are right Cliff that uh, in in this well known barrelief of uh, in uh, the temple of CT1 in Egypt yeah. uh, we have the three types of craft we have the helicopter and we have the plane and we have something that could be a rocket or a, a plasma rod uh, kind of plane and on the Sumerian depiction we see plasma rods Engine. We're going to take a short commercial break and we will return with my guest today, Dr. Chris Hardy on the Wars of the Anunnaki. We'll be right back. My guest today is Dr. Chris Hardy, who is an ethnopsychologist 
and she's written a book called Wars of the Anunnaki, Ancient History and the Battle for Earth. And we're discussing her interpretation, not only of Sitchin's uh, writing, but her own research. I, I want to just stop for a second here because I want to get into one of the things that you bring up in your book, which I think the, the audience needs to know about, and that is the Anunnaki's lack of higher consciousness. Now, that they have these machines, these war machines, that they have these powerful weapons, that they would use nuclear weapons on the earthlings and those offspring, hybrids, shows that they are a warring class of people. And to cause a deluge, to cause a nuclear explosion that eradicates uh, Babylon and, and uh, is used in the various pyramid wars, shows that they probably have an, an issue with tapping into higher evolved mind. And you bring that up quite, quite succinctly. Uh, so is that what your b belief is, that the Anunnaki are a warring race and that maybe they're not using or have not evolved consciously during well, this period? to be quick, they created us uh, mixing our, their own genome with the genome of a biped roaming into uh, Eastern Africa. So we are their direct ancestors. And we know from the tablets that uh, Ninma was constantly improving the genome of the, for each new generation. And Enki was making love with a, with a young earthling woman and so she, he was also improving, uh, I mean, bringing more and more of their genomes into the genome of the what they call the hybrid, the Lulu. And, and so that's, that's one thing. The second thing is the ethics, as you mentioned. My research into the tablets uh, shows that indeed they are not only lacking, uh, enormously lacking ethics, and they are a warring species of human, of course, because they are our ancestors, just like us. And we can uh, trace, of course, our uh, main shortcomings on warring instinct to, to them, so without any problem, and reflect on that. But uh, I must say, because I'm, of course, I'm a strong defender of, uh, first of all, a spiritual path of inner knowledge, Mm -hmm. as opposed to following dogma of the institutionalized religions, plural. And uh, I must say that if they had already, 5,500 years ago, they had already a body of law, they had a, a very sophisticated uh, society, architecture, art in general, technology, uh, genetic engineering technology, all this, and uh, <laughs> notably uh, nuclear weapons of mass destruction. However, they were not as evolved as our our own humanity and cultures plural on the planet. Because when when you when you are based like I was myself all my life into Oriental Eastern uh, philosophies and uh, and religions and shamanism and uh, from 
all parts of the world, we are definitely of a much higher consciousness that they they were. Mm. Now let's go back to nuclear weapons because this is uh, this is focus on my book uh, Wars of the Anunnaki is the fact that in the tablets. Uh, because we all know the Babel Tower and how, uh, sorry, we all know uh, the new king of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. And the interpretation handed down to us has been that there was a sexual sin, namely homosexuality, uh, that was rampant. Uh, and that would be the reason why Sodom and Gomorrah were uh, erased uh, from Earth. Mm-hmm. However, This is a very, very interesting point. Uh, The Anunnaki, I mean the Nibirans that came down on Earth, Anunnaki, were having a perfectly free sexuality. They have homosexual poems. They are uh, their best marriage in terms of heritage laws uh, between a half-sister and a half-brother, and he will surely get the crown of Earth. And they have, in the royal family, they have not only uh, the, the uh, children with the with sister, as I said, half-sister, half-brother, but also concubines, uh, lovers by uh, homosexual uh, encounters that are chanted in poems, like they don't have the least restraint on the only sexual crime for an Anunnaki is rape. It is uh, the fact that something has been imposed on somebody. And so you don't find, unless it is severely punished, like Enlil was himself the protagonist of a rape on a young uh, student of, uh, biology student of Ninma. And he was going to lose his uh, title of ruler of Earth and be exiled out of Sumer. And this is why in El Nil, already in the tablets, we see bent toward, uh, against women in general, uh, because he got his title only because a poor young girl uh, accepted to, to marry him. Uh, of course, she was going to be the queen of, uh, of Earth. Right. However, if if it had not been like that, he would have lost everything. So, from as a psychologist, uh, uh, and as other psychologists and uh, um, people can uh, understand, when when you had such a such a crime put on you and and you were downgraded because of what you did to a woman, nevertheless, the, the human psyche is going to keep having, uh, putting the woman, uh, even a young girl, being uh, as responsible for uh, this lapse. And this is what we have seen all along in, in, in the religions, especially during the Inquisition times, where the shortcomings of the male psyche, I'm I'm very, (laughs) I'm a bit strong, but this is very, very important to understand that, that uh, when you have such a shortcoming that is coming to the open, you blame the other one. And the other one that has been blamed all along has been 
not only the woman, because let's go back to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, but also the very intelligent and knowledgeable clan of Enki. And this is why we find in in the tablets, we can find that uh, Enki, his son Marduk, Ninma, the genetic engi- uh, goddess who created us, and their son, one son, Hermes, they were starting uh, what I call wisdom lines, I mean the transmission of uh, scientific and what they call the science of the gods, that and they, they started the transmission of knowledge in some types of secret societies. So I know that we are now trying to uncover and to pin down uh, secret societies, but let's not forget that in this very, very strange history of, of the first times of humanity that we are uncovering through the tablets, let's not forget that we had a ruler of Earth, which uh, whom the Gnostic text called the Demiurge, and the text, the Gnostic texts say that he is not the top, higher, the highest consciousness. His mother, uh, wisdom, is the highest consciousness, mm-hmm. like just like in the tablets. So let's not forget that we had a ruler of Earth who was a despot, who was neurotic, who was totally biased against anybody who would cross him. Who would uh, that he would call disobedient, mm-hmm. and this is exactly what happened. And, and so, for the the other clan, Enki, Ninma, Hermes, Marduk, in order to give to humanity the knowledge they wanted to give uh, us, and to to make us more and more knowledgeable and, and able also to take the flame at one point, to take the flame of civilization, of the human species in this corner of the galaxy. They had to be, uh, to hide themselves, whatever they were giving us, because Enlil was constantly trying to wipe us out. In the deluge, it was trying to wipe us out, etc. And why did he try to wipe us out all the time? And it is clearly said in the Bible itself. Uh, So, you know, he has, so so to speak, created us with a soul. And then before the deluge, when he wants to uh, uh, erase humanity from the from the earth, he says that we are but flesh. Uh, so he's constantly in full contradiction, even uh, with what he's saying himself. And why? Because as a despot, he did not want the people that were manning the spaceport on the space station, on the moon, on Mars. And this is certainly most of the runes we are going to find on Mars, if there are still some, and on the moon, are going to be the Anunnaki uh, when they came. But the Mars ex- uh, nuclear explosion proves that the Anunnaki had mightier enemy, or it was between them. This is another open question. Let, let's talk about these the, the, the pyramid wars, the, the power struggle. Do we know exactly where they happen. Obviously, if we look at Harappa, Har- Harappa, 
uh, we can see that these radioactive skeletons basically encountered some kind of radioactive uh, fallout. You suggest that 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 was a bomb, but was that the first pyramid war or the second pyramid war uh, that caused that destruction? No, not even. Um, uh, In the tablets, uh, to to make it clear, in the tablets we have a war when they enter the solar system with, uh, and this is totally, totally mysterious, with planets that are described as uh, having some kind of uh, consciousness. Okay, let's not forget that the Anunnaki science uh, is is a total uh, uh, holistic type of science and we have uh, recovered a a great part of their science with uh, cloning, with with nuclear weapons and all that, but we we still have not recovered that part, which is the holistic part of, of their science. Uh, even if we are higher in terms of uh, our own consciousness, but in uh, in so we have this war. Then we have two pyramid wars, and last pyramid wars ends about eight thousand seven hundred something be, uh, years ago, and at that point it marks the end of Marduk's Ra. Uh, he was called Ra in Egypt, yeah. and Marduk Ra reigned in Egypt on the start of Tot, who is no, no less than uh, Hermes, Ningizida, and Hermes for the Greeks. So at the, at the end of this pyramid war, Marduk had been nearly... Uh, had been imprisoned and nearly died if it was not for Ninma coming on and stopping the war uh, uh, between the Anunnaki. And this is this has nothing to do with with the timing of of the carbon print on the skeletons that were radioactive and that were discovered in Harappa on Mohenjo-Daro, but especially Harappa, which are uh, cities from what we call the Indus Valley Civilization. Uh, The Indus being the the river, of course, going down uh, in between now India and Pakistan. And at the delta of this river, we have found lately, not so long ago, and you have to look at a Graham Hancock magnificent video on YouTube on the Ice Age cities. And, and you will see the, the ruins of Dvarpa or Dvarka, uh, which was the city of Rama. But Rama was the king, and in fact, it was the city of the god Krishna. And it had been utterly destroyed, and as the Mahabharata text shows us, uh, the signs that were the symptoms on, on the people dying were definitely uh, symptoms of uh, nuclear events. And the same thing happened, and this is what I was very carefully analyzing in the Sumerian text. We have hundreds of texts that are called laments, lamentations, and they are uh, from all the gods and goddesses that were in Sumer in their own city and were able, of course, to write poems about how they saw 
explosion in, on, in the horizon and the arrival of what they call the evil wind, but which is no less than a contaminated cloud coming and bringing absolute desolation on all the cities of, uh, of Sumer, on those gods and goddesses that had no time to take their bird and flee. Like, for example, Inanna took her bird and flew to Africa. However, both, for example, consort the queen and consort of Ninurta, a son of Enlil, who was the one with Nergal to to, to uh, throw the, the nukes over not only Sodom and Gomorrah, but five cities on the, of the Sinai plain and Jordan plain, and also on what they call their spaceport in, uh, in the Sinai at the time. And, and all this is extremely well described in, uh, in, the, in the diverse uh, text. And we, we see that the, those who had no time uh, to flee, uh, for example, Bo, uh, as I was saying, uh, the wife of Nienurta, she started crying on the, when, when she saw the population dying in piles, people falling dead instantly. And she was, she was crying. She did not get into cover. Nienurta, uh, I mean, they were so awful. Uh, psychologically speaking, that Ninurta did not call his queen and wife to tell her to hide and to be careful. They had no idea about contaminated clouds. The chief of the god, Enlil, when his son, other son, Nanar, uh, called him from Sumer saying, we have a contaminated cloud, an evil wind, arriving on our city, what should I do? Because Nana uh, was not a scientist. And Enlil answers him, instead of saying, flee and tell your population to flee and to hide underground, he says to his son, you know, your town was not meant to be everlasting. I mean, oh, can boy. you just can't you imagine a father who is yeah. on top of that, the father of the gods, telling the ruler of earth, telling to his firstborn son on hair, well, you know, I'm not sure, um, you are telling me that this contaminated cloud, which I was the one to uh, order and, and vote for uh, massively, you know, you are telling me that this is coming on you and you may die. I don't give a shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you so you describe a- their their personalities as being pretty coarse, and it's funny for a technologically evolved race of beings, they don't have a lot of consciousness. They don't have a lot of of uh, rapport with uh, with their siblings. It's, it's a pretty uh, lacking group, isn't it? In, as I say, it's a, it's a very liking group because uh, let's uh, again focus on the, on this. I mean, let's not forget that with the new king of Palestine on the Sinai, uh, we had no less than five cities with all their human population. We had we had the Igigi, uh, the Nephilim in the Bible, and they were they were a population that had 
were not allowed by the despot and Lille to marry and they had to stay on their space station. And at one point we have a revolt of the Igigi asking for the right to come to Earth sometimes and to have a, a kind of holiday home there. And second, the right to choose earthling women so that they could marry and have children because they were not enough Anunnaki women, uh, goddesses there. And Marduk had been the first one, but it was not a plan. He fell in love with the daughter of a high priest. Now, Abraham too was the son of a high priest. And all, all the high priests in, uh, in the Sumerian civilization and all the, the king and queens were hybrid with a mixed parentage, half Anunnaki, half earthling. So the woman Marduk fell in love with and the man Abraham was were half gods. And this is why they, they, they lived so long. But Marduk fell in love. And this is a very, very interesting, uh, he's, he has a very interesting uh, psyche because, first of all, he's able to fall in love. And then he's going to fight uh, for his people because he was the chief of the Anunnaki, the chief, as, as the one uh, god at one point in charge of all space operation in first great span of uh, their history and at uh, before the deluge and so when the Igigi his own people his own task force uh, asked that they wanted to to marry earthling women of course he was with them because he was already married with the assent of his own parents Enki and and Damkina and that was when Enlil got so upset because he thought that those, the earthling, uh, the, the marriage with the earthling, even if they were half gods, were sullying uh, the Anunnaki blood, the pure blood of uh, the Nibirians. And this is why the, he wanted all along in the tablets from one millennia to the next, he wanted to erase us from uh, the earth after this had started to happen. On the deluge, if you look at the Bible, but now you know uh, what's, what is there in the, in the Sumerian tablets. Now you look at the text of the Bible, you will find it. You will find all those sentences that I have marked as being informational style, informational framework sentences. And you will see that all those sentences, like the fact that the, the son, enfin, the well-known sentence saying that the uh, daughters of the, of the gods, and, uh, I mean, the, the sons of the gods became uh, attracted by the daughters uh, of the of men on this so that they were compatible. But they were not even humans, they were demigods. And nevertheless, Enlil uh, was furious and wanted to erase humanity. And when they heard, when the scientists uh, found out that there was going to be gravity storm of huge proportion, because Nibiru this time on its orbits uh, was 
going going to get too near to Earth, and it had already created problems in our other uh, planets in our solar system. And they knew there was going to be a huge tsunami that was going to erase and to to go to to uh, of, to erase the civilization there. At that point, Enlil convened an assembly of the gods, and he forced them. He, he, he bent arms so that each one of them swore that he was going, not going to give the information to the earthling. However, in the tablet, it is Enki who is giving the information to Noah, uh, Utnapishtim, and uh, Noah was uh, his direct son with the queen of Shurupak. And this is how Enki was used to do. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's saving Noah, his son, and he's saving humanity. And in the, in the tablet, it's not only Noah, but it is uh, not only Noah and his family, but it is also a large group of scientists of all different types of uh, sciences that he takes with him in the, in the submersible of which Enki gave him uh, the the plants, and so we see we see constantly this fight between the uh, the Anunnaki, but we must not forget that we had half of them, Enki's clan, Marduk, Ninma, not only our Hermes, not only our creator gods, but our protectors are the one willing to give us everything they had, like true parents, knowledge, all their sciences, and, and that's what they did. We're going to take a short commercial break, and we'll return with my guest, Dr. Chris Hardy, reporting on her research on the Anunnaki. We'll be right back. My guest today is Dr. Chris Hardy. She is a French research investigator who has spent considerable time going over the cuneiform, the clay tablets left to us by the Sumerians, as well as Zachariah Sitchin's research on the alien beings known as the Anunnaki. Let me ask you uh, about some of the technology that you feature in your book. You have a an interesting diagram of a uh, of a mana, which I thought was familiar with uh, or more linked to uh, ancient Hindu. Uh, are you suggesting that the vamana is kind of a a version of one of these uh, Anunnaki machines, or is that an Anunnaki machine? Is that what your belief belief is? Because those are the ones that rain down terror on the people of Earth. Uh, look, uh, the, t- the t- tablets are giving us a totally new light 
on uh, the whole uh, human history. So you have to understand that at the moment Noah is uh, saved with a large group of uh, scientists and also Ninma has given uh, to Noah all the seeds, I mean the genomes of animals, uh, a bank of genomes of animals and plants and she has herself made a bank of genomes that she has hidden in her first laboratory in Baalbek and we have, we have found some uh, kind of uh, banks of uh, seeds in uh, in Liban. So you have to understand that with this new light, you have now humanity has been mostly erased. We are starting from Noah with a whole group of people, and of course, Cain, which has been in the tablets also, sent in exile, and according to Sitchin, he has been sent to South America. So we have those humans only remaining, and and so the wall, at, uh, I was talking earlier about the, the end of the Second Pyramid War, which uh, started reign of Thoth, Hermes in uh, Egypt, uh, 8,600 something BC. And that time, at that time, we have we have a new heritage, which is, I mean, the the lands the the lands on Earth are are distributed in a in a new way among now. Before, you know, it was only Enki getting the wall of Africa and his own city that he had already built. He was the first. It was the first city on Earth, Eridu. At the, near the Persian Gulf, and Enlil was not only getting the throne of Earth, but also uh, the wall of Sumer, uh, meaning Mesopotamia. Now, what happened is that in this new distribution, uh, now it's the third generation, meaning the granddaughter Inanna, granddaughter of Enlil, is going to be the chief of the gods, is going to be a prominent uh, person, personage in the history of humanity. She's the one to start the matriarchal era and also all the rites of the sacred marriage in, in her temples. And she's getting, in this distribution, she's getting the Indus Valley. She's the goddess of the Indus Valley. And I, uh, as I have shown in my book, Wars of the Anunnaki, Inanna uh, is uh, depicted in the Sumerian tablets like on cylinders as very thin, extremely beautiful and having an incredible uh, charm and poise. And she's similar to, uh, to a, a statue of the Indus Valley goddess uh, who has been in an earth in one of the Indus Valley sites. And so Inanna was there, but the Indus Valley civilization uh, for uh, our own scientists has started only 3,500 years ago and lasted until uh, 1,000, no, sorry, uh, BC, and lasted until 1,500 BC, about. And the skeleton, the radioactive skeleton in uh, Harappa, was carbon dated to uh, 2,500. So, 
and Tsitsin is uh, dating the new king of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, he's, he's giving two dates in two different books. I'm very sorry about that. Uh, but me, I took the first date, which was 2024 BC. But in another book, it's 3500 BC. It, it is not corresponding to, to be uh, truthful. Uh, it does not correspond to the new king of the Indus Valley that would have some part of the Indus Valley, this is totally mysterious because the tablets are not speaking about that, that would have uh, put some uh, radioactivity on uh, the rocks, on the skeletons of Harappa, which again are dated 2500 BC for the catastrophe. So, so it's, it's a totally, we, we still, uh, we are just uh, unraveling with John Brandenburg the nuclear explosion, the two nuclear explosions on Mars that happened 200 million years ago and that made Mars uh, a dead planet that blew off totally its atmosphere uh, because Mars was like, uh, as in the tablet they say they were taking water, it was a green and lush planet just like Earth with a civilization, okay? And they had powerful enemies, uh, obviously. So, uh, we are still unraveling. We have also a crater, a lunar crater, which has, uh, which can, can have had to be uh, created by a huge nuclear explosion. So we have, and this is uh, more like 11,000 years ago. I mean, uh, for now, what we are unraveling and discovering are a few traces of nuclear explosion or contamination or the heat that can be uh, created only by nuclear explosion as we know now, and which are leaving the kind of uh, isotopes that we have in, in the Nevada desert and we find on Mars, like Xenon uh, 129, which are also uh, leaving enormous crater uh, with, uh, uh, I don't uh, remember perfectly, I think it's uh, 800 no, I, I'm sorry, I don't say it. No, a huge, a, an immense number of atmosphere as a pressure, which can be uh, made only by nuclear explosion. Mm-hmm. And this is another age. And then um, the Andes Valley skeleton, like uh, two, uh, I mean, 400, uh, um, 4,500 years ago. And uh, all these, you know, are sp- on, on the glass uh, created in, uh, in the Libyan desert and uh, the spherules here and there on Mars and also in the Indus Valley. And all these are traces of, uh, of radioactivity. But let's not forget that we have other traces that has that have been said to be detected around the Sinai or the Dead Sea 
and uh, this kind of information are kind of disappearing. Like you cannot put your hand on it anymore afterward. Even if we are so many people, uh, scientists uh, or researchers, uh, really, really trying to uncover and to, to get to, toward disclosure of this. Mm-hmm. So I want to tie up a few things. I want you to talk a little bit about the technology because you're giving scenarios which are nice regarding the um, state of affairs that the Anunnaki presented to Earthlings. But the, the, the whole idea of war makes people think about what are the warring tools? What were the tools that were used? We know that nuclear weapons were exploded, but what else do we know about the tools that were used to engage in these wars? Uh, Well, I have uh, made a very uh, complete, uh, no, I cannot say that, Uh, thorough, I would say, analysis of all text which we're talking on describing the kind of uh, technology uh, for war on the weapons of mass destruction on the weapons in general that they were using and the way we can know uh, for sure about those technologies were was by the name they they were giving to their technological uh, chips. I mean, the chips, they were calling them ME, M-E. So we have the name of the Me's when they are looting a temple of one god or one goddess or um, make them surrender their their weapons and all that. So uh, to... To, to have a list, we have an eye that scans the land, a hand that can get inside uh, the earth uh, everywhere. So those are kind of uh, laser uh, uh, piercing ground uh, on able to see what's under the earth. Uh, they, are, um, <clears throat> they have an arm that is able to reach to the sky on direct a, a tool for directing, which has to do with the space chart uh, room, which was called the Dirga room, in, in what they call temples that are facilities uh, to uh, to keep the what they call the bond heaven earth, the Duranki, and it was uh, in a space uh, station. Um, monitoring uh, rooms like in Nippur Temple, Enlil Nippur Temple, and also after the deluge, it gets to be in the Great Pyramid. And we have all the maze of the pyramid that are stolen uh, from Marduk by uh, all the his enemies that were trying to uh, murder him. And they are, for example, a part, uh, the pyramid has a vast net, like a, a network, you know, extending very far. It has also the, the link uh, the, to, the, to the sky on the space uh, charts. It has uh, uh, the pairs of Nibiru crystals, which uh, we don't know what they were for. 
we have a, a specific tool that uh, a, a, a me a me that is called the holy radiating stone that disintegrates all and this is a main me that speaks about nuclear weapons of mass destruction we have a load of me that are uh, supposed to erase whole cities in one huge explosion we have an awesome flash that reaches to the sky and destroy an evil city we have we have the especially the most important we have the seven awesome weapons which are an earth after the decision the the positive voting of the assembly of the gods uh, for the destruction of uh, the quote disobedient cities uh, end of quote which are cities that oppose the king of the east in uh, the wars of the kings in the bible which is preceding uh, the new king of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah on five other cities and so we what I would like uh, as a conclusion to say is that we cannot as a decent and conscious human beings we cannot not look at the information that is uh, there in the Sumerian tablets uh, because with unblinker translation, we will call that, uh, because the stories are so much more coherent than the one we find in, in the scriptures. And also, we have loads of details. The tablets are showing the psychological profile of each god or goddesses in great detail, and it's perfectly coherent from one text to the other. They are in uh, six or seven languages, by the way. Uh, and we cannot not look at the past of humanity uh, that we can uh, find out, on the, especially because everything that has been written in a much recent period, like uh, the first millennia uh, before Christ, is highly patriarchal, uh, highly uh, bent against women, highly moralistic, and uh, it has been uh, when when you are able to compare the text with the older Sumerian tablets, you realize that. In none of the instances that has been uh, the ground uh, for biblical text to put the responsibility on the sin uh, on humanity, men, women, on humanity at large for all the generations, when, when you see that, uh, and you compare with the Sumerian tablets, you discover that in the Sumerian tablets, the full responsibility is always with one or the other faction uh, or clan of the gods warring with the other one. And, and never, never the responsibility can be 
put on the heads of the young humanity that was absolutely not able at that time to uh, to be to face and to confront the uh, immensely powerful Anunnaki that were on top of that giants with uh, enormous weaponry and and uh, and uh, I mean you have also a me that is called. Uh, the me of giving orders, the instrument of giving orders. Like you had mind control, you had all kind of uh, apart from uh, weapons of mass destruction. So uh, we have to get out of a childish dogma that is bending our psyches toward the unwilling to put us into uh, uh, some kind of feeling of uh, being culpable and helplessness and, you know, having uh, being uh, being uh, bent down in front of uh, the, the immense power of the, of the gods. No, we, we, we have to grow out of this uh, psychological uh, terrain. I mean, that is not positive for us. It is. We have to. We have to really uh, fight for our own freedom and for growing up uh, beyond these uh, bias uh, accounts of our own past. So you have to think. You have to think based on our genetics. And at our stage of evolution right now, where we have these nuclear weapons, where we are threatening other countries with annihilation, that we have to take a lesson from this, these past wars and, and seriously consider the outcome. And what does this do to evolution if we light up one of these nuclear wars, say North Korea? We, we're very threatened. We're very unhappy. We're talking about an American president who may have issues of, of uh, emotional stability. What does this say about our, our history, you know, these nuclear bombs? Is this, does it trigger anything in your mind? But, uh, I mean, the main lesson is uh, very, very clear. It's the fact that they were blinded by their own uh, rage uh, on enmity toward Marduk, they wanted to erase the god Marduk and his son Nabu, uh, that after they had been exiled, were hiding supposedly in the cities of the Jordan on Sinai plain and in now what is now Palestine. And doing that, while they poor nukes on those cities and erase and, and destroy uh, uh, the population of five cities on the Sianenai. And while they did that, they did not even realize that there were uh, some kind of collateral damage, you know, and yeah. that uh, there would be a contaminated wind that was going to go where exactly uh, to the sites where they had voted for uh, using the nukes, and it was Mesopotamia, Sumer, and the contaminated wind totally destroyed the, their own civilization. So after that, Bo, for example, uh, who was crying, uh, she was, she 
was uh, the text say and Bo, the goddess she was the the evil wind caught up with her as if she was a mortal and she died afterwards and uh, and so we have to realize that whatever you we are using for whatever stupid reason at the moment which is only a a small tiny problem at uh, one point in uh, history, this is a kind of exact same energy that we are getting back toward us by by the simple fact that it, it's, it's a basic understanding in uh, psychology that uh, whatever you are sending as a uh, thoughts and energy and whatever are your uh, kind of behaviors and actions, uh, this is exactly the energy you are propagating around you and therefore this exact same energy will get back to you, will be sent back to you uh, because it is attracting the same kind of uh, reaction uh, from around you. So, but I I do believe, I'm sorry, uh, of course, to hear uh, this uh, new uh, wave of uh, fear, uh, but I do believe that uh, we have grown as humanity, and not only as uh, Americans or whatever, uh, we have grown much farther and higher than... uh, this kind of stupid uh, reactive and um, <clears throat> kind of move, and I don't think we even we are uh, we have moved beyond a personal a personality like uh, the American president of the moment, and I believe that we are able with uh, our collective consciousness to have much more power to even upturn decision, as we have seen uh, this uh, happening, and uh, it's going to be very funny, excuse me, and and very interesting, I'm not at all in a fearful mood, uh, to see uh, whatever decision is uh, taking, that could be uh, a major mistake, not only for America, but for the whole of humanity, I do believe that we are going to see that it's not going to work again and again. And that's going to be, in my opinion, a great fun. So that was uh, Dr. Chris Hardy, recorded in 2018, very early in the year. And lots to say, she looks at it from a very detailed and unusual way as a psychologist. If you heard what she was saying about the emotions of the Anunnaki, I think that she really takes it to a different level. And we get a sense of these uh, these gods uh, as more human, more a- able to understand some of their motivations, their love of, uh, of the earthlings, their fighting, their anger at the uh, destruction of the planet, so forth and so on. So real fun to, to talk with her, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. It's fascinating to note that uh, our DNA has been sequenced uh, in the last decade but it's quite unique in that it, it's just a small percentage that 
separates us from the animals that live on the planet. Apparently, 1.5% of our genome is unique to our species and shared among all people alive today. And that's the most, uh, according to the latest research, it's the um, most significant clue that we are truly unique. And, uh, you know, you got to wonder, because our technology isn't perfect yet or able to extract the information from those uh, strands of DNA, do we have alien intervention? Do we have a connection to off-world beings? Are the Anunnaki our our ancestors? Are there other species of Homo sapiens sapien that have had genetic engineering? So really calls into question quite a bit. And it's fascinating to consider. Uh, as much as I like Zachary Sitchin's uh, theories, it won't be until we really can de- develop a technology to understand the the inner cellular structure of, of the DNA and, and be able to, to read DNA to the point where we can say, okay, this is modern Homo sapiens sapien. Oh, I do know that uh, we are connected to Neanderthal and Denificens. They've actually found evidence of that connection in modern humans' DNA. But if, if that 1.5%, which makes us modern, isn't naturally evolved from living on the planet for thousands and thousands of years, then where does it come from? Where is this unique part of us arriving from? <laughs> wow. Maybe we are Anunnaki. Fun to have Chris Hardy on the program. I haven't talked to her in a number of years, and she's written some other books since then, so maybe it's time to get her back on the program. Hey, we're at the end of the month of January 2023, and that means we got to start thinking of spring. And, you know, the pandemic has lifted. We don't have to mask up. I think most of us have our vaccinations so we can travel. What better trip than coming with us to Egypt May 2nd through the 14th for the Earth Ancients Grand Egyptian Tour? I got to tell you, I love this tour. Uh, This is going to be our fourth year. And when I first went over there, I was shocked. I was shocked at the beauty of these structures, at the sheer volume of the temples, of the pyramids, of the general shape and size of the buildings. And the amazing thing is that the technology behind cutting some of the hardest granite in the world, red granite, is just mind-blowing. And how they were, they just built beautiful temples. And there's so many anomalies there. I mean, every time I go there, I learn something new. I find something else that's that I haven't seen before. And I'm inviting you to join me on this tour. It's really fascinating. We simply have the best price for a VIP tour. And what do I mean by VIP? That means that you are catered to as soon as you step off the plane. In fact, you are met at the Cairo airport by 
a member of the Saba Tours. This is uh, Mohammed Embrian's tour. We've been uh, tour team. We've been using them forever. You're met. You're helped through with your visa. Your bags are collected. You're driven to the hotel. They even help you check in so you don't have to worry about anything. It is wonderful. The food, the beverages, the travel, the cruise on the Nile is amazing. And I'll tell you again, we're about half the cost of a typical tour. And we're talking 12 days from the 2nd to the 14th. For more information and details, go to earthancients.com forward slash tours. Check it out. It is a wonderful, all-inclusive. And when I say all-inclusive, just ride along, enjoy the tour, enjoy the weather, and uh, enjoy what we experience on this mind-blowing Grand Egyptian Tour. Again, May 2nd through the 14th. Come out and join us. We're just about there. We're just about at our capacity. We can take a few more people. EarthAncients.com forward slash tours. Hey, we got another one coming up too. We got the ancient Maya of Chiapas and Tabasco. We had Dr. Uh, Ed Bernard with us last week talking about it. And this is another great tour. This is a short tour. One week, seven days, November 10th through the 17th. We check out Maya land. We're going to go to La Venta in Verahomosa. In fact, we all fly into Verahomosa. And then we travel to Palenque and some of the most amazing Mayan cities in Chiapas, which is southern Mexico on the border of Guatemala. Got to check it out. The reason that I chose this tour is we have complete access to some of the most amazing temples and pyramids that are ever created. And the Maya uh, created some beauties down there. This is a very, very basic tour, but it is quick. It is fun. It is really startling when you see these buildings. Again, earthancients.com forward slash tours. Check it out. The Maya uh, tour, and uh, it's going to be a blast. So come out and join us. All right, that's it for this program. Uh, I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Chris Hardy, and the book Wars of the Anunnaki. As always, the team of Ruth Thomas, Mark Foster, and everyone who makes, makes this thing happen. Thank you, and you guys rock. I mean, you really do rock. All right, take care, be well, and we will talk to you next time. 